Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. If I were to ask you this morning for you to fill in the blank, if it were up to you, what would you change? That's a loaded question. If it were up to you, what would you change? Well, as we begin this morning, I want to let you know a couple things that I would change. Just I want to be personal with you this morning. If it were up to me, first of all, I would have Chick-fil-A open on Sunday, you know? I mean, let's, let's just be honest, right? The cravings I have the most are Chick-fil-A on a Sunday morning. If it were up to me, not only would I have Chick-fil-A open on Sundays, I would have U of A games before 8 o'clock on Saturday nights because I can't watch the game with kids, and I'd have the stadium look like that because it's no longer looking like that with a 19-game losing streak. And, and what, another thing I would change is I would have all of my family move to Tucson. And I love my family. I'd have every one of them move to Tucson. And the reason I, I bring this up is because many times when we ask that question, well, if it was up to me, we place a subject in that blank that is beyond our control. We say, hey, I would love to have Chick-fil-A open, but I can't control that. But if there is one thing that every one of us can control, and I want us to ask the question this morning, if it were up to you, how far would the gospel go? If it were up to you, how far would the gospel go? Here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 5 through 8, the Bible says this, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost. So that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. Would you join me as we pray? Father, I thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I thank you so much for the time that we have today to spend some time seeing how we can make a difference with the gospel. Lord, I pray that you'll just bless the, the preaching of your word and that you'll be honored and glorified. And pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The gospel has the power to turn the world upside down. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the gospel has the power to turn the world upside down? Amen. Because if not, why are we here this morning? The gospel has the power to change and to turn the world upside down. And this morning, I'm going to look at three characteristics of the gospel. From this passage here in 1 Thessalonians, I want to look at three characteristics of the gospel. But before we begin, we must define what the gospel is. Many times when you're talking with someone and maybe there's a disagreement, you're talking with them, there's a disagreement, and then you figure out we're talking about two completely different things. So before we go any further in this message, we need to understand what the gospel is. And a simple definition of the gospel is this. The gospel is the good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news of what God has done through Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel is 100% Jesus Christ. The gospel has nothing to do with what I've done. The gospel has nothing to do with what you've done. The gospel is 100% 
about Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, the Bible says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That is the gospel. Jesus came from heaven to die on a cross for your sins and my sins. The gospel is the good news of Jesus paying for the sins of humanity. And because of that, it changes our eternal destiny, but it also changes our daily lives. Ever since uh, Jesus' resurrection, this good news has been shared by Christians throughout the world. And here in 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul is writing to the Thessalonian church and saying, Our gospel came not into you in word only, but also in power. So the first characteristic of the gospel we see in verse number 5, and that is the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. Here in 1 Thessalonians, Paul is writing the first letter from Corinth to the church in Thessalonica. And there we see that Paul is referencing that he was there in the past. In Acts chapter 17, the Bible records the journey that Paul took to go there. And if you can, join me in Acts chapter 17, verse number 1 through 4. Acts chapter 17, 1 through 4. Paul is telling him, or Paul is writing to the church here saying that, my word came to you with power. Here in Acts chapter 17, verse number 1 through 4, we have the, 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 the scene of what happened. The Bible says this at the very end of verse number 1, they came to Thessalonica where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the, great, of the chief women not a few. So the story is laid here. Paul, the Bible says, as his manner was, went into a new city. And he went to the synagogue. He went to the quote-unquote enemy's territory. He came to preach Christ and he went to the place that was saying it's not about Christ, it's about what you do. It's about following the Old Testament law. And Paul, as his manner was, went to the synagogue because he knew that there was power in the gospel. And Paul began preaching to them and saying, the Messiah that you're looking for, Jesus, the one who you're looking for, that is the Christ. He is the one. Believe on him. And the Bible says that some were saved. So he began at the synagogue talking to the Jewish people. And through his conversation, he saw many people saved. But the gospel is powerful, first of all, because the gospel conquers religion. The gospel conquers religion. There in verse number 1 and 2, the Bible says, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto the synagogue. Basically saying when Paul would go into a new city, he would go to the very place that needed God and needed Jesus the most. So he would go to the synagogue and he would go to the Jewish people and he would say, listen, for thousands of years you've believed in the Old Testament. You've done your sacrifices. You've done the thing that God has commanded you, but now God sent Jesus to come and die for your sins. So now is the time for you to repent and believe on Jesus Christ because he is the payment for the sins that you're trying to atone for through your works. You see, because the gospel can do on the inside what religion can never do from the outside. And that's making and changing our standing before God. And the gospel can conquer religion because the gospel is different than religion. Let me say that again. The gospel can conquer religion 
because the gospel is different than religion. That's why Paul, when he was in the Jewish synagogue, he was able to go into there with no fear. And that's why we support missionaries who are in the shadow of a very evil religion. Specifically two in particular, Hung Kim and Paul Lung. They live in Myanmar. And there in Myanmar, they've got different organizations. They've got Bible colleges. They've got orphanages that we are introduced to. And they are sitting there preaching and teaching those people and saying, turn to God. But you know what? They're in the shadow of the Shwedagon Pagoda. This is the largest pagoda in Myanmar, and this is where they go, the Buddhists go, and they, they worship daily, and, and we have had several people from our church go there, and this place is full of people whose hope is in the dead God of Buddha. And Hung Kim and Paul Lung are sitting there, they have no fear because they believe that the gospel can conquer religion, and the gospel can conquer religion because the gospel is different than religion. You see, religion is spelled with two letters. Religion is spelled D-O. Religion is spelled D-O. Religion says if you do something, then you get something. If you do good works, you get to go to heaven. You earn salvation. If you do this, then you get that. Matter of fact, if we were to get on a bus today and we were to go up here to 22nd, turn left, and go 4.2 miles down the street, we'd run into Santa Cruz Catholic Church. And I'm not here to put other churches down, but the Catholic Church teaches this very thing. Matter of fact, the Catholic Church says this. The Catholic Church believes that sacraments are necessary for salvation. The Catholic Church is teaching religion. You must do the seven sacraments in order to earn salvation. The, the um, religion is based on what we do, but not what has been done. You see, while religion is spelled D-O, having a relationship, the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's two more letters added to that, and it's D-O-N-E. We no longer does it matter what we do for God. Yes, it matters, but that doesn't change our standing before God. What matters here is what has been done for us. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Not by works of righteousness, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 3, 5 says it's not about what we do, it's about what Christ has done on the cross for us. Having a relationship with God is spelled D-O-N-E. 1 Peter three eighteen says, For Christ also has suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Because what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, it is done. No longer do we have to go and preach the gospel and say, hey, you need to do this in order to earn salvation. No, we just have to point people to the one who did it 2,000 years ago on the cross of Jesus Christ. Several, uh, the last several weeks, pastors read Romans chapter 5, verse 8, and it says this, but God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But the one word in there that I think that we just kind of gloss over and we don't really understand what it means is the word commendeth. But God commendeth his word. Anybody use that word this week? No, I didn't think so. That, that's a word that we just don't use in our vocabulary anymore. So the, I think we should replace the word commendeth with the word showcase. The word showcase. Let's read it again. But God showcased his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
Six years ago, on June 15, 2015, it was my wife's birthday. And that was a special birthday because that was the birthday that, her birthday that we got engaged. And I remember as we were leading up to that, I began looking for the sign of my love that I could show her that I loved her so much. And I began looking for wedding rings. Now, at the time, I was in Bible college, and I was working a graveyard shift at a hotel to make ends meet. And uh, I was sitting there, and I, while no one was there, I'd sit on the computer, and I'd type in wedding rings, like beautiful, large wedding rings. And I'd look it up, and I'd be like, yeah, that ain't happening. <laughs> and I would look up um, uh, semi-large on a budget, and I, I kept lowering my expectations to eventually where I'm like, all right, I guess I got to get a Cracker Jack box and hope there's one in there. And I remember calling my dad and just saying, hey, dad, I was like, I'm looking for wedding rings and it's just, it's expensive. What do you suggest? And, and around that same time, he was able to get my mom a brand new wedding band and a whole set for their 25th anniversary or one of their big anniversaries. He says, so the diamond that I had, I'll sell to you and you could keep it in the family. And I'm like, sounds great. I love it. And so I got that diamond, I put it in a wedding band, and there on June 15th, I got on a knee, and I asked Janessa, and I said, Janessa, and as soon as I got on a knee, a dog came out of nowhere. We were in the middle of a park there in Pennsylvania, and I was down on my knee, I was sweating bullets, and, and I, I had my speech planned out, and as soon as I got down, there was this German shepherd that came and was in the middle of us. And every one of our pictures, engagement pictures, there's a, a dumb dog in between Janessa and I. <laughs> But long story short, you know, the, you know what happened after that. Janessa says, yes, I'd love to marry you. And I was able to give her a wedding ring as a sign of my love for her. I was able to showcase my love for Janessa by giving her that wedding ring. Well, we were going into our senior year of college, and, and kind of that's how kind of Bible college works. You get engaged the summer before Bible college, or your senior year, that way you go to senior year, you can do the interviews and all that stuff. So we go back to Bible college, and, and I don't think I've told Janessa this before, but I was sitting there, and a lot of our friends got engaged. And, you know, ladies like to kind of show their ring off, like their left hand obviously gets heavier when they get engaged. And so we were, in, we were meeting their, our friends and talking to them, and you know what, they were able to get those really nice uh, wedding diamonds that I had said beforehand. And I was like, man, like I got the best that I could get Janessa in my budget, but I don't know, these, these guys must mortgage their like second house that they don't have yet to get those wedding rings in. And I immediately began comparing my gift of love for someone else's. You know what, that's what religion does. That's why the Bible says not by works of righteousness what, what we have done, because we'll start comparing ourselves. But here in this verse, but God showcased his love toward us. You know, God, he could have made a sacrifice in any other way. But John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know, yesterday, Janessa and I were at the mall, and we, we were walking around a, a jewelry store. And, and you know what? They put the best jewelry there so you can see it, to, to pull you in. Because they want to give you the best of the best. When God sent Jesus Christ to this earth, he didn't pull the second string out. 
No, he sent, he showcased his love to us by giving us the very best that he had. He gave us the very son of God to die on the cross. The gospel conquers religion because Jesus Christ has died on the cross for you and me. Jesus Christ was showcased on the cross. So the gospel conquers religion, but then notice secondly here in verse 4 that the gospel changes hearts. The gospel changes hearts there in Acts chapter 17 verse 4. The Bible says, and some of them believed. So as Paul was in the synagogue preaching and telling them to turn their eyes to Christ, some of them believed because the gospel changes hearts. But notice here in this passage, the Bible says, and some of them believed and consorted, they, they were uh, persuaded with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. You see, there were Jewish people that believed, there were Greeks that, were, that believed on God, there were women that believed on God. And why is that? Why is that important? Because the gospel changes our hearts or changes their hearts vertically with God and horizontally with man. Their, their hearts were changed vertically with God and horizontally with their brethren or with man. Galatians 3.28 says, There's neither male nor female. There's neither bond nor Jew. There's neither Jew nor Greek. For you are all one in Jesus. You see, there's no prejudice in the gospel because we are all one at the foot of the cross. And here in this passage, once they believed, they were added to the family of God. So Jews who hated the Gentiles were now made one in Christ. Men who looked down on women in the day, were now the women were elevated. Now they were one in Christ because the gospel changes hearts. So we've seen, first of all, this morning that the gospel is powerful. But notice, secondly, what is the impact of the gospel? What is the impact of the gospel? If we were to go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 6 through 8, we see, first of all, that these people who had heard, they received what, Jesus, or what Paul had taught them, they became followers of the, they became followers of God. They became followers of God. They turned from their religious ways doing the law, the, trying to obey the 600 laws of the Old Testament said, now they turn from that and they became followers of God. The gospel changes the direction of our lives. And the word follower here can also be referred to as imitators. They, they began looking at what Jesus did and they said, okay, if Jesus did that, then I want my life to, imi to imitate that. If this is what Paul did, then I want to imitate this. Because we are always allowing other people to mimic our lives. We're always setting an example for those people around us. These new converts were looking at Paul. They were looking at Jesus saying, if that's what it's like to be as a Christian, then I want to live my life that way. About a year ago, Janessa and I, we were going to one of our friend's house and and we were driving there and Raylan was in the back seat and our girls were there in the back of their seat in their car seats and and uh, as we were driving, um, oh, there they are, uh, Brinley, Raylan, and Emery. And uh, uh, Raylan's there in the center, and we were driving, and uh, we were going around a corner that wasn't, we were turning left, there wasn't a stop sign, there wasn't anything, it was just, you just make the corner. But as soon as we're going around the corner, a car pulls out right in front of us. And so we like slam on our brakes, and it's kind of like, you're like, is everybody okay in the car? But somehow, during when we're slamming on the brakes, Janessa said a really bad word. And she didn't say a cuss word, but she said the word idiot. 
And she's like, man, that's an idiot. What were they thinking? And it's all right. We're all, don't look down on Janessa. We're all there, okay? And so, um, so we were like that, and, and we, we, we gained composure, and we start driving. And then that sweet little sinner in the middle seat uh, decides to say, idiot, idiot. And Janessa and I, we just look at each other, and we're like, oh, boy, we got to watch. Now that they're talking, we got to watch what we're saying. But that's literally what this passage is talking about. Imitators. Imitators. Who or what example are you setting for someone to imitate? That's the way that we talk to our spouse. That's the way that we interact with our children. That's the way that we live our lives in our sanctified life as we're growing closer to Christ. Are you living a life that is worthy of being imitated? Paul is telling the churches here, follow me as I follow the Lord. Paul is saying, I want you to follow my life. Do you want people following your life? They, were, they became followers of Paul and of the Lord, but then notice in verse number 7, they became, they became examples to others. They became examples to others. And the word example there comes from the, the Greek word called tupos. And it literally means this, a tool that is used to make an impression or a stamp. So when Paul wrote this letter in the Greek to the church in Thessalonica, they were reading it from that perspective. Okay, so they understood that Paul is saying, you became an instrument that was used by God to impact your country. They were used by God as an instrument to make an impression in their country because they became examples to others there in their country. But then notice verse number eight, or yeah, notice verse number eight. Not only were they examples to others in their country, they literally changed the world. They changed the world. You see, their faith, once they became Christians, their faith was authentic. They, they turned from their wicked ways. They turned from following the law and said, listen, from this point forward, we're going to follow Jesus. Our faith is going to be authentic. The Bible says that they shared their faith everywhere, and it was their faith. Their faith was shared everywhere, and their faith was authentic, because here it says, every place your faith was shared. Do you share your faith everywhere? First of all, do you have faith in Jesus? Have you accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you turned from religion to a relationship, and your faith is now shared everywhere? You know, it's it's pretty easy to have a faith displayed here on Sunday morning, because everybody around us, they have the same faith. When we step into the workplace where there's not the godly influence, is your faith being shared there? You see, these these Thessalonican Christians, they were able to change the world because of their faith was authentic. We started out this message by saying, I believe that the gospel has the power to turn the world upside down. You know, here in Acts chapter 7, verse number 17, verse 6, the Bible says this, and when they found them not, They drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Who were were they talking about here? They were talking about the Christians that were living in Thessalonica. Now, why do do we talk about 1 Thessalonians? Why, Why do we do this? As we close this message, I want us to look at one more passage. Join me in Philippians chapter number four. Philippians chapter number four. As we close this message talking about if it were up to you, how far would the gospel go? Paul was able to be sent as a missionary, as an evangelist, and and he was able to go to cities and preach the gospel. But how was he able to do this? What was the means by which he was able to do this? Well, the Bible says here in Philippians chapter 4, 
number 15 through 16. This is where we get our philosophy for missions. The Bible says this, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Notice last year as we close this message, the support of the gospel. The support of the gospel. Paul, the Bible says that as his manner was, would go into new cities, go into the synagogues, and preach Jesus. And the way that he was able to go into Thessalonica and go into the synagogues, talk to the Jewish people, reason with them, and spend three months there with them is because he had the support of another church that was in a different city that enabled him to go there and not worry about finances, but be able to go there and preach Jesus and him alone. Paul was able to go to Thessalonica. Paul was able to spend three months leading people to Christ. He was able to see a church established. And those Christians became examples and changed their country and their world. How was he able to do that? Because the church in Philippi was sending faith promise or sending offerings to support Paul as he was there in Thessalonica. So we go back to the first question that we asked at the very beginning of this service. If it were up to you... How far would the gospel go? You know, honestly, when the church of Philippi, they took an offering and they sent it to Paul, they didn't know. They didn't know the extent of their offering. They didn't know what God was going to do through it. But because Paul was able to report back to them and saying, because of your support. Oh, by the way, you're the only church that did it at this point. You're the only church that has supported me. But because of that, let me tell you about the Christians that are in Thessalonica. They're Christians that are being changing the world for Christ. They're Christians that are changing their country for God. And it's because of your support that you're doing. That's why we want to give updates about the Gideons. That's why we want to give updates about orphanages. Because our missions dollars are going to make an impact around the world. And that's why we want to keep that forever in the forefront of our, of our minds. As Pastor said, we, we support 65 to 70 missionaries. Will you be a part How far will the gospel go because of your impact and your giving towards this ministry?